Very apt for today's episode, actually. The Gatology Sleep Complex is now available at gatology.co.uk. Full of Montmorency cherries, which contain a natural source of melatonin, the hormone needed for a restful sleep. It also includes magnesium, glycine, and is sweetened with inulin, which is a natural prebiotic to support your good bacteria. Uh, actually, me and my girlfriend have been taking this most weeknights before we go to bed. Take about an hour. Uh, before we go to bed, a heaped spoon. Uh, we've been having it in hot water, actually, like a sort of sweet tea. It's super tasty, it's bright pink, and we never use any artificial ingredients or fillers. So we really want you to check this out and tell us what you think. So if you enter the code PODCAST at checkout, it will knock 20% off your first order. All right, this week's episode is all about sleep. So I think in in some ways we do understand that sleep's really important like from the from being small children everyone tells us that all the time it's not like a lot of things we talk about that are connected to the immune system where there's like common misconceptions I think everyone understands that sleep's important most people generally feel pretty rotten when they don't get enough sleep but I thought what would be really cool today was to actually go into how a lack of sleep or a good amount of sleep affects um, the immune system. And I think that even though we do know that sleep is a problem, the enormity of it is actually is actually quite bad compared to how we used to sleep to how we sleep now. Yeah, I think it's a really common issue now. And certainly everybody that I see that comes to the clinic almost, almost to you know 90% I'd say most people have got a quite a significant sleep issue and that may well be due to their condition particularly if it's a painful one just simply like getting comfortable is difficult but you know on the whole um, our kind of lifestyles are very different now in that you know it sets up for quite a poor sleep pattern in some people so there's lots of different factors that can contribute to it but it's really significant in that if Certainly, and I'm always kind of coming from that clinical perspective because that's obviously where I spend most of my time. But in order to get somebody well from a chronic condition, particularly autoimmunity or, you know, something inflammatory, sleep is such an important part of actually getting them to that point. So it's not something it's like, oh, well, I don't really get much sleep, but hey, ho, never mind. It's so integral to the functioning of the rest of the body that that's really one of the most important areas to work on and reset that. And I think that, on like a global scale now, we're just not really adapted to optimise our sleep. I mean, we used to, I think, starting with like the circadian rhythm, let's just explain that to people that maybe don't understand what the circadian rhythm is. Mm, yeah, I, th- I think it's so, so important. And people don't talk about circadian rhythm very much anymore. And I just feel like it's one of those fundamental principles of how we exist, that why are we not talking about this all the time and striving to really get it in rhythm? So what it is, is it's, it's a it's basically it's, it's following our biology on a 24 hour clock. So there's like um, an internal clock in almost every cell in the body, every cell that's got a nucleus. And there's various different responsiveness of chemical production, protein production, um, inflammatory activity, immune activity that all respond and is quite controlled by a clock. So rhythmical variations across the day are tracked and it's been studied. And it's quite it's quite a complex concept because obviously 
we're looking at a lot of different biological processes and relating what you know which is you know controlled by genes that are responsive to a, a clock type system um, but it's working very much on light and uh, dark. So on the 24 hours that we live in on the planet, you know, humans are, you know, fundamentally accustomed to adapt to living to that light and day environment. So we've made lots of alterations to what light and day, light, you know, light and dark actually looks like now. So, for example, um, things like... Instead of a rhythmical approach of like eating and moving in daylight hours and resting and sleeping in dark hours, our dark hours are now not very dark because we've got loads of artificial lights. You know, we're, we're not stumbling around in the dark after 5 p.m. at night. You know, it's winter time now. It gets dark at that sort of time. We've got televisions. We've got everything on a screen. We're looking at our laptops till midnight sometimes. And, you know, I say we as like collectively it's very it's very okay in our society to take your laptop to bed and continue doing if you're studying or if you're working continue doing stuff tapping away and then flip your laptop closed turn over and expect to sleep that is quite common isn't it so it's quite a lot of things that we're doing that are really actually changing what our circadian rhythm looks like because the main controller of it is in the brain and it's responsive to light so if first thing in the morning you get up you fling your window open and the first light you see is the daylight of either the sunrise or the fresh daylight if it's a bit later than that then that is really good for your circadian rhythm and that's actually one thing that I get people to do that come to the clinic is say well look let's try and reset your circadian rhythm I want the first light to, that you see when you wake up to be natural light don't look at your phone so phones out of the bedroom or screens out of the bedroom you know as soon as you roll over and wake up don't want people to be turning the TV on and then having an artificial light blaring at them. I want it to be a natural light and that will help to reset it. I think also um, it would be quite interesting to, you know, are there examples of circadian rhythm as far as its connection to like inflammatory conditions? Do you see that in your clinic where, you know, people maybe, you know, things like arthritis and that having an impact? Yeah, so, yeah, a really good way to illustrate what I'm talking about is rheumatoid arthritis. And one of the classic symptoms and patterns um, of rheumatoid arthritis is morning stiffness. So the worst point is on waking, people saying to me that they have to, you know, it can take them half an hour or even longer to just really struggle out of bed to get to the bathroom and then gradually they get moving and things can ease up a little bit so that's very characteristic and you know it's because there is a circadian rhythm of the immune activity so that sort of proliferative inflammation that can cause the the hot swelling and the pain that is particularly active in the early hours of the night so even so it's not suggesting that sleep is is good or bad in that particular circumstance what i'm referring to is just the natural 24-hour rhythm of the immune activity and then so because we know that it's active at that time of night this is why the symptoms of ra tend to be so much worse in the morning when you wake up and also that we you know we see, we're talking about this off air as well that we've seen a connection between not just um you know obviously we talk a lot about gut health on here, but there have been patterns between people's microbiome, like their, their bacterial makeup and their sleep patterns as well. 
Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of a lot of chronic inflammatory illness is due, due to a dysregulation of the microbiome that comes from like dietary patterns that are really poor, particularly like the grazing style, coupled with sleep disturbance. And just those two things can lead to a chronic inflammatory state. And if we want to get like super topical at the same time as well, um, we've even seen studies around how people respond to vaccines based on the quality of their sleep. Yeah, I mean, that's in, that's amazing. And it if you have if you have a vaccine, say your flu vaccine, and you get really good quality sleep afterwards, then studies show that you will have a greater antibody response to the vaccine. It's crazy, isn't it? So it's just it's just showing that things happen physiologically when you're asleep. And, you know, there's still an awful lot that we don't really know about it. But, you know, things that when your body is, is sleeping and in that restful state and the brain activity is in a sleep state, different things happen with your immune system. So if you've got poor sleep after a vaccination, then you'd probably be less responsive and your immune system would not have responded as, as well as if you had it two weeks later when you were in more of a restful sleeping pattern. So it's fascinating. So is the idea then, like, to, I always find it really helpful, like, how do you think about this really, really simply? And I think we do that so well with diet, you know, that idea of just make sure there's lots of colours in it and there's not too much fake stuff. That's like a really simple yeah. Way yeah, to look at it. it. Simple, yeah. As far as sleep's concerned, and we're going to get on to very shortly, like what are the things that you can do if people are listening to this and they're bad sleepers, or they have bad patterns, or they, you know, they even if they wanted to go to bed early, they would say, "Well, I just lie awake at night." We'll get into supplementation very shortly, and then you know things that you can just do in your habit as well. But is the idea with it that your body is literally repairing itself at night, and if you remove the the amount of time that you should be asleep, that you're restricting that as far as the, the, the your overall health, basically. Yeah, you I mean, like you say, everyone feels better when they have a good night's sleep and people can feel really groggy. And if they go for five or six nights in a row of poor sleep, it can be terrible and have a real impact on them. It does affect your general health. Um, and, you know, I, th I think it's because there's so many different variables, it makes it very difficult to study exactly the impact of sleep. Like what is... What is good sleep? How do you define that? How do you define exactly how much sleep you need as an individual? Um, you know, I think that there's been studies on, particularly we're talking about the immune system today. So thinking of how it re relates to inflammatory mediators and things that the immune system would make. There's been studies done that if you have um, normally eight hours sleep and drop to just six hours of good sleep instead of eight, then you get a rise in inflammatory markers. You know, things like your CRP level can go up and that can just happen within a week of dropping just two hours of sleep. So some people out there might think, oh, hold on, I thrive on six hours sleep. Well, you may well do, but also because a lot of these things are quite insidious, we don't really feel a chronic inflammatory response when it's insidiously developing. So a lot of people really feel that they thrive on very little sleep and burning through through the whole day. But actually, I think that's a, that's a cultural issue that we have with our world that actually pushes into a chronic inflammatory state without really knowing it. I think I remember I remember listening to a, a podcast ages ago with Matthew Walker. If you've not um, heard of him, he's he's done a brilliant book on sleep, and he's like one of the leading experts in there. And he was talking about how there are 
genetically a small percentage of people that that, that are make their makeup is slightly different, so they can survive on really significantly reduced amount of sleep, and it doesn't seem to have like a mental impairment on them, even in the long term. But he's like, it's like zero point zero two percent of the population. So just assume <laughs> that that everyone is kind of in that boat. So I think. What would be really interesting is to have a little think about, you know, we always do this where we think about, okay, well, what are some simple things you can do or some hacks or um, supplementation? So there are some really common things when it comes to sleep. So let's talk about those to start with. What sort of things can people be supplementing with that are safe and they are scientifically proven to have some impact on sleep? You know, if someone's here going, yep, great, I know that I've got a do certain things, but but what can I supplement with? What sort of things do you recommend? There's a lot of things out there, a lot of sleep products. And I'd say that probably one of the most useful that covers a lot of bases is magnesium. And the reason being that your, your circadian rhythm and your sleep cycle is very much regulated on a daily basis by your HPA axis. So that's your hypothalamus in your brain and your pituitary also in the brain and your adrenal function. So what when you have an imbalance in the HPA axis, it can really impede your sleep. So this is like kind of bringing in stress into it as well. We spent, you know, the last episode talking all about stress, but... Um, the, the reason why magnesium can be so incredibly helpful for sleep is because when you don't sleep, you can then stress yourself out about not sleeping and you're really adding to this vicious cycle going on. So magnesium helps to regulate the HPA axis so that it can help lower the stress chemicals like cortisol and adrenaline. But magnesium also helps with stimulating the neurotransmitters in the brain that help induce sleep cycle. So melatonin is supported really nicely by magnesium. And I, one one thing I think that's interesting is that, you know, in places like the United States, melatonin is readily available as a supplement. But in a lot of countries, including the UK, you can't just buy melatonin. What, what, why is there a disparity there? Yeah, there's a, yeah, it's um it, it, it's 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 a very very useful thing to be able to have, but you know, unfortunately in this country we can't recommend it. It's only on prescription, so it's not the sort of thing that you can you can buy yourself. Um you know, quite quite rightly in a way because if you were to use melatonin inappropriately, it is really in charge of your sex hormone balance and all kinds of other things in your body that you could actually probably mess yourself up. So I think it's not such a bad thing that it's not available, but, you know, used appropriately, it can be really amazing because melatonin is just, you know, it is your sleep hormone and it really does induce a restful sleep. It's brilliant to take on a plane journey, for example. Um, when you've got, you know, your hours are all over the place and you've got jet lag and melatonin, you can just uh, just literally put it in there and go to sleep. So it's very useful. And it's also really, really important antioxidant and has anti-cancer properties as well. So this is another reason why sleep is quite um you know, integral to your immune system, because if you have lower melatonin levels and then therefore you're not sleeping that well, you've also got lower antioxidant levels and less inhibition of your sex hormones, which then can be more proliferative for cancer. Is there other supplementation that say if people live in the UK and they can't get hold of melatonin? Mm -hmm. And it sounds like if you are, you should, I think always when we talk about these things is 
under the advice of a practitioner. Mm. Like I, it's so important because you just don't know what else is going on in your system, what other things you're taking, how those things interact with each other. It, we obviously have a, a natural way that we can make melatonin in the body. Mm. So, so what are there supplements out there that encourage the sort of an increase in melatonin that without actually taking it directly yeah definitely and that's actually a really nice way to support it you know supporting your own body's natural production is much much safer but also really accessible for everybody so magnesium b vitamins zinc um all of those things would be really useful uh cherries have um, a really good natural boost of melatonin so cherry powders that you can get and they can taste quite you know taste quite nice and quite sweet uh cherry juices that are really concentrated um Obviously, with no added sugars or anything, but that can be really helpful for sleep as well. And I've seen that work time and time again, you know, in time and time again with, you know, cherries um, in combination with glycine as well. Just such a beautiful combination. Glycine is an amino acid that is really restful. It helps to induce GABA response in the brain, which is really inhibitory on the brain activity and can help put you in that restful state ready for sleep. Okay, so we've done that classic thing where we've terrified everyone about the awful impacts of not getting any sleep and now people who don't get much sleep are sat here going, brilliant, great, I'm really stressed out about the whole thing. I'm going to have an even worse night's sleep tonight. So I think it's really important to say, okay, someone um, arrives in your clinic, Julia, uh, they're like a terrible insomniac, they're burning the candle, they're not getting much sleep. They'd say to you, even if I did go to bed at 10 o'clock, there's not a chance in hell that I'd get more than five hours sleep. In fact, I thrive on five hours sleep. So we've, we've disproven that. Where, where do you sort of begin so I actually, I, I actually don't begin with, well, go to sleep and keep trying because that is the most stressful thing you can say to somebody. So I just keep, just do better, just keep trying. Um, I actually just say, look, forget sleep for now. If you're not sleeping well at night, just don't worry about it. But at four periods throughout the day, I want you to take 10 minutes out and I want you to just do, do some deep breathing exercise. So I normally help them find something that's got some nice music with it or something that they think, yeah, I can get on with that. But at four periods throughout the day for 10 minutes, just because it will reset their body physiologically it supports the hpa axis and it's going to make it more likely that by focusing away from sleep sleep will come more naturally there is honestly nothing worse than telling somebody who doesn't sleep that they need to sleep <laughs> it's just like no forget it for now and start inducing habits in the day a lot of what you do in the day impacts how well you sleep so people often think well you know Anything that happens post 10 p.m., it's a disaster. Okay, so forget post 10 p.m. Let's start at 8 a.m. What are you doing? How much coffee are you drinking? You know, let's get the stimulants out of the of the routine. Okay, so just focusing on that for a second then, like co coffee is a big one. You're yeah. not saying don't drink coffee, no. but what? You would limit it to what the amount and the time that you take it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, some people tolerate caffeine really well, metabolise it really well. Like my husband really bizarrely can have a, a, a coffee at nine or ten at night and sleep great. And I was like, I, you just confuse me. <laughs> I just don't know. I don't know what that is. But obviously, genetically, he can just handle it really well. Um, but he's more of a seasoned coffee drinker. So, um, you know, there's been quite a lot of studies done on like caffeine itself and how not how you know how long it takes to actually break down in the body and it can take us up to you know somewhere between three and seven hours is the half-life of caffeine which is really long time if you have a cup of coffee normally the 
the actual caffeine peaks in your bloodstream about 20 to 30 minutes after you've had it. But, you know, for for then it to kind of half in, in concentration in your body, it can take over three hours. So if you're having three coffees a day, you get this cumulative effect where you're still processing the caffeine at maybe 3 a.m. in the morning. And people don't really realize that. They might think, oh, I've, I've, had, a, I've had a coffee, but that's just way out of my system. If they're a slow metabolizer of caffeine, then that might be impacting sleep. So having it, if you want it, have it in the morning. And some people can't have it after about 1 p.m. without it impacting sleep. But it's a very, very individual thing. Okay, so coffee, what you want in the morning, uh, but maybe don't have it after sort of one o'clock in the afternoon as a starting point if you are getting bad sleep. Mm. Um, let's talk about um, sugar in the in the system as well, because I know blood sugar can can have an impact as well. Yeah, there's quite quite a few ways in which sugar sugar. Uh, or bad sugar management can actually impact you. So, and, we, and just to clarify here, we're not literally talking about eating a Mars bar before we're going to bed. We're talking about your overall blood sugar levels throughout the day and how they fluctuate. Yeah, 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 definitely. So I uh, wouldn't, wouldn't advise having a Mars bar before bed either. <laughs> However, <laughs> we're talking more about how you manage your blood sugars on a day-to-day basis. So if you're having um, a diet with not too much refined sugars in it and plenty of protein, then what will happen in your body is when you're absorbing from your gut those sugars, it won't be spiking your blood sugars really high really quickly. It'll be more of a slow release. So you've heard about low glycemic low diets. This is the sort of thing that's really fantastic to sleep because it's helping a steadier release into your bloodstream. So the the re- there's two main reasons I would say that I've observed that sugars um, or poor sugar management can impact your sleep. And that's that you can wake up hungry so uh, that can be a problem, particularly if you're waking at a certain time of night. You know, I've even had some people that are, that are waking up to eat because they're going into like, you know, and this is not people that are actually diagnosed diabetic. It's just people that cannot handle the sugars well. Um, and you don't want to be waking up hungry. You should the if you have like a dysregulated sugar control, um, it can impact also um, inflammation. So it contributes to a pro-inflammatory state. And that too can actually impact on the circadian rhythm and the sleep cycle. So you get into a very vicious circle with um, a chronic inflammatory state induced by too many sugars in the diet and not managing it well. Your insulin levels go a bit out of balance and it sets up a chronic inflammatory system. Then that can cause your sleep to become problematic. Then the sleep being problematic causes your blood sugars to fly more in the day. And then you've got this vicious circle going on. So Anything that we can do to intervene in that will help break the cycle and the sleep will be better. And as a general rule of thumb, one way of sort of dealing, like steadying blood sugar levels is generally just to have a lower sugar diet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's nice and simple to understand. I think one thing that we're seeing publicised more and more is blue light. I think people understand generally what blue light is, but for those that don't, let's just explain that. So, yeah, there's... you know, across the wavelengths of, of lights, you know, full spectrum of different colours of light. 
that that come through and you know when you watch your tv it's going to be a you know a combination of lots of those different things but blue light in the evening time interferes with your pineal gland in the ability to make melatonin so if you if you know that melatonin is your sleep hormone and your pineal gland is a place in the brain that's sensitive to light that is its main trigger is light so you know coming through your eyes it will then communicate with the pineal gland so if you're getting predominantly blue light from screens so from your phone from your laptop um, from the television then it actually impedes your pineal glands ability to make melatonin so it's like it's keeping you awake so uh, there's there's all sorts of ways that you can do it the simplest way is you know if less what i don't want to do is suggest that people go back 100 years and live in a cave <laughs> because it is what it is and we need to be really realistic about that so you know i personally i put blue light blockers on my phone and on my on my computer so you know if i do have to work into the evening which of course sometimes i do then um it's it's filtering out the blue light what, so, so what is a what at. is a blue light a blocker is that a physical thing that you put on the phone or is it an like a, something you can set the phone to you set it so there's an app you can just download a free app that just just type in blue light filter and it will do it um download it for free and then you, you can get a degree of percentage of how much of the blue light you're blocking out because it does make the screen quite a lot dimmer and darker so you can actually have sort of like half of blockage or 80 percent blockage 20 percent blockage i think what's interesting is you can see how important this is now because even companies like apple i'm sure even in the main settings in an iphone now that you can set it to automatically lower its brightness to which must come into that blue light dip mm. um, at a set time every day so again coming back to that idea of what are simple things that you can do every single day um so blue light is a big one how can you start to reduce that down maybe don't watch tv programs right up until the point that you go to bed you know you give yourself an hour or so and another thing as well is going back to to your diet as well it's not what you're eating it's also when you're eating it and and i think that's the challenge you know so many people are eating within three hours of going to sleep. And that is a major factor, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a major factor. You know, there's a lot of hormones at play at getting you to sleep and keeping you asleep as well. And leptin is one of those. Have you heard of leptin? It's a hormone that makes you feel full up. And this is really active overnight and it works together with other hormones like growth hormone and prolactin. And these things really work together that they kind of come alive at night and keep you in a really restful state. But your leptin, that kind of sense of feeling full, we know how frequently that's dysregulated. If you just talk to people, you know, if you just were to go out on the street and ask 20 people, do you feel satisfied? Do you feel full? Because of people's diets, they're kind of constantly craving something. So this leptin feedback is not really working very well. Okay, so making sure that you're eating well before bed and that in general you're eating the right foods so that you feel fuller longer. So the idea, yeah. like abbreviated, if you have a very high sugar diet, you're more likely to want to eat more often because the bacteria in your gut are craving sugars more. Yeah. Whereas if you're eating more meat and vegetables, you're, you're more likely to feel fuller, have more of that leptin between meals. Yeah, so meat and veg or protein and veg is the, character, the key characteristic there. It's protein and veg. So whether that's a... You know, chickpeas or meat doesn't really matter. But fibre is really, really important as well. And I think it's also like how what are the things that, you know, we, we always talk about this, that 
that you can get i think it's interesting to get really really deep into the science but actually i think always the most important thing that we always want people to take away whether they're reading stuff on on the website or listening to the podcast or watching stuff on youtube but like what are the like not getting overly neurotic i think it's amazing to understand the science when you're listening to a podcast like this it's like oh wow leptins and bacteria and all sorts of stuff but actually what are the realistic things that you can do every single day because even somebody like you julia that has studied all of this you've got a busy busy schedule you need simple things that just become habits every single day and um certainly around sleep i mean there's no two ways about it eating three hours before you go to bed for me yeah it, i genuinely find that really helpful and easy to do but one thing that I found had the biggest impact on my sleep was I never in my this sounds bizarre but I'd never in my life really read fiction ever so if I was to go to bed it would either be I'd be on my phone or I'd have the tv on historically or if I read and I always like reading it would be like learning something or reading something you know, sort of stimulating. So then I'd stay up till like <laughs> three hours reading something. But I started reading fiction, like what, whatever it was, and that just transformed. And I think for those people that are quite um, like overstimulated or lying in bed tossing and turning, that kind of mind shift of focusing on something that doesn't mean anything, it's just, do you know what I mean? It's like, it's in... It's a different world, if you like. For me, absolutely transformed that bit where you fall asleep. I think that's that's really interesting because I think you and I are fairly similar on that level in that you get so passionately involved in something that you you can't really just stop your brain. You can't just think, right, I'll switch off now because it's sleep time. So actually active distraction is one of the best things. So I do something similar. I love reading just really like simple, easy read, like beach holiday type books. Um, And that does the same for me because you're not telling yourself, right, I know I've got too much on my mind. I know I'm not going to sleep. It just takes away that psychology. It's like, just don't worry about it. Just, you know, do that. I would say from a routine perspective as well, just to keep it as simplistic as we possibly can, doing the same thing every day of the week is a really, really good boost for your sleep. So weekdays and weekends shouldn't differ, particularly when we're trying to reset circadian rhythm. So, you know, if the common schedule is working Monday to Friday and then off Saturday and Sunday. And, you know, quite often people say to me, well, I get up at seven every day because I've got to be ready for work by half past eight. Okay, brilliant. What do you do on Saturday and Sunday? Or get up at 11. (laughs) It's like, right, okay, this is a problem. This is a real problem. A good line, though. And then I go to bed at 3 a.m. because I'm not tired because I slept all morning. So trying to do the same thing and get that. If you think of your body as it will run better when your 24-hour clock is in tune. So in order to get it in tune... It's trying to follow its natural rhythms um, and a, a good a good routine to set yourself up to bed should start at least an hour to an hour and a half before you intend to go to bed. So whether that's a bath, whether it's a reading the fiction, uh, whether it's meditating or doing breathing, whatever it is that you do, you know, no later than 9 p.m. that should be starting, ideally. Okay, and, and, and we always try and like bring a study into this and we've talked a lot about LPS. So just explain to us again exactly what LPS is and then 
what these studies are. Yeah, there's some really, really, really exciting stuff actually um, in the research about LPS. So um, LPS is lipopolysaccharide, which is basically a bacterial toxin. So um, bacteria that cause infections. So they can, when they get when they get damaged and um, actually get into your bloodstream through through a leaky gut or through in problems with the membrane integrity in the mouth or anything, they cause a really, really strong inflammatory response. So this happens in, you know, this is the link between like a lot of metabolic diseases and chronic inflammatory diseases. LPS is often a feature. So something measurable, something we can actually look for. But they use it in the research arena quite a lot because it's so toxic that um, observing what the response is to that is really interesting. So there were some mice studies that used um, a routine of injecting mice on a weekly basis with LPS and then observing the response. And it took, um, I think, only three to four weeks of injecting the mice with LPS that that place in the brain that's sensitive to light that regulates the entire body's circadian rhythm stopped being sensitive to light because of that chronic inflammatory response. So if you think that is obviously it's a study in mice and we've also always got to be quite careful on how we you know, extrapolate from that and apply it to humans. But basically speaking, people that are living with chronic inflammatory state through, you know, high blood sugars or um, chronic condition, fatigue, energy problems, that kind of stuff, those people are probably already having a dysregulated circadian rhythm because it's no longer responsive to the light anymore anyway. So it's just showing the importance of actually looking at this 24-hour clock and doing everything we know in our power to reset it. And I think that kind of brings us ni- nicely back to a theme that runs through almost every single episode that we do on the Gutology podcast, which is if your body is busy doing other stuff, it's really, really hard to tend to the normal functions that the body needs. So that idea of if you're not getting enough sleep, your body's not going to be looking after the normal cycle of things that are going on. If you're eating bad food and there's chronic inflammation going on, your body is busy sorting that sort of stuff out and for me that's like a a really simple way to kind of understand it all it's like how can you just bring some really simple moderation in you know it's not that you're on a ketogenic diet it's not that you religiously gargle Montmorency cherries one hour before you go to bed every single night but like how do you bring moderation into everything and I think for sleep the the really simple things to take away are how can you go to bed at the same time every single day and and it actually if you start to do that and you start to uh, you know read before you go to bed or wind down a little bit early or reduce the blue light you won't that I that will just feel like an extra couple of hours at the weekend of of out and about and doing stuff, you probably won't feel like you need to sleep till eleven o'clock in the morning, and um, and I think just yeah, just that moderation of of regularity and making things really really simple habits are the things that make the big difference. It's not about writing every single thing down on this podcast and researching every article and trying to do everything. It's just like small incremental things that become habits. I think mm. it's it's been interesting in the lockdown period because. You know, obviously, I would remain to be advising people because I can do that remotely really easily. And it's really interesting to watch the patterns of behavior because for the first time in most people's lifetimes, we're in a situation where, you know, for that quite long period of time, we weren't really allowed to leave the house. So 
every day became the same. So I would say to people from the very beginning back in March, use this as an amazing opportunity to actually reset your own circadian rhythm. And it was quite interesting to watch the behaviour of how that worked. Some people completely embraced it and then they had it where they were exactly the same waking time, exactly the same bedtime, started walking and getting much more activity in the day so that they were much more restful at night and their sleep changed immensely. But then there was another group of people that I observed. We're always getting challenges, obviously, their people were tripping themselves up. They were losing the motivation to go to bed, to go to bed <laughs> yes, because yeah. they thought, well, what's the point of going to bed when I've got to get up and I'm not allowed to I go, know. particularly yeah. people that. So I think it's, it's almost acknowledging that you might as a human be getting in your own way there. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, it's, it's trying to, you know, talk it through the friend or something, get a bit of help and just make, make a pact to do it together. A bit like everything else, dieting or running or something. Sleep is just one of those things you need a bit of help with sometimes. Uh, Caroline has done some amazing articles on sleep. They're online right now, actually, at gutology.co.uk. You can follow us at gutologyhq on Instagram. And if you want to reach out and have a conversation with us, you can also do that via the website. And that's it for this week. If you've got any more questions about your gut health, you can jump online to gutology.co.uk and it's manned our live chat by gutologists who are all fully qualified practitioners uh, who can answer your questions. If you've got questions about eczema or psoriasis or sleep, um, then we can get into a bit more detail with you on there. It's free just for like an initial chat or whatever. So um, go and check that out. And as always, thank you for your support. Remember, if you want to get hold of that sleep complex and check it out, just put podcast in um, at checkout and that will give you 20% off your first order. We'll see you next week. Bye bye.